The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. The next day, John, again, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, what are you saying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is the Gospel of the Lord. One of the things I do remember very clearly uh, when you're making that transition from being a kid to an adolescent to adult, one of the tough things I remember is, is learning that adults don't always mean what they say. Okay? Or more precisely, when adults talk, it seems, especially in the Midwest, the actual meaning of what they're trying to say is hidden between the words that they are actually saying. They don't just come out and say it. I'm not talking about adults lying. I'm talking about adults beating around the bush because adults are polite and we have social considerations to keep in mind when we say things, especially when feelings are involved. Okay, kids learn, they have to learn. All of us learned at one point that when an adult says something, how he says it, the words that they use, the tone that they have, and where they're looking, all of those factor in to the actual thing that they are saying or trying to say, the thing that they are communicating. For a kid, everything is just honest. It's not just honest, it's brutally honest. It's open, it's right there. You see it, you think it, and you say it when you're a kid, especially when you're, oh, I don't know, five, three, and two years old. I don't like beans. This is boring. And my personal favorite, Dad, you're fat. Now, adults have a more roundabout way of saying the same thing. Beans aren't my favorite. That's how you might say that. Or, what if we tried to do this differently instead of saying that's boring? And, are you still on the diet? <laughs> to an adult, the meaning is plain. We understand those things in many other different ways of saying politely what we're really trying to say. But to kids, well, they hear words like that and you can kind of watch them be confused. Like, well, why didn't they just come out and say it? Like I do. <laughs> so yes, words, of course, do mean their face value meaning. But they can also mean a lot more, too. It's easy for us to take stock of John the Baptist's ministry, his own words and his own actions. It's easy to do this because, well, it's collected right there at the front of all four Gospels. Pretty much everything about John is right there at the beginning. And most of it is really obvious. Obvious what he was trying to say, the intent behind his words. And there's a little bit to interpret here and there, but most it's plain. He preached for people to repent. And he baptized people for forgiveness. 
the washing away of their sins. And little needs to be added to these things by way of explanation, even as far removed from them as we are today, time and culturally speaking. He meant what he said and what he did, and it was obvious then and obvious now what his intent was, but today's gospel account of John the Baptist's words, well, I think that that could use a little bit of explanation. Hear them again. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, for a modern and perhaps an especially uncatechized, untaught audience, that's a very odd thing for John to say. It's an odd thing for them to hear. Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Well, what what does that mean? That's, a, that's an odd title. They've heard other titles for Jesus that kind of make sense. King of kings, Lord of lords, but Lamb of God? What does that mean? There's a, a clothing apparel, and I don't even I know, like a, an, an ideology out there. It's called like lions, not sheep. And it's sort of trying to encourage people to not be timid in life. And it sort of denigrates sheep. And I, I kind of understand the point of that. It's a popular context where a lot of young people might hear the Lamb of God and think of that. Well, yeah, lamb, sheep, that's not good. You don't want to be a sheep and just follow somebody anywhere and not know where you're going. Is that, is that the context of Jesus being called the Lamb of God? Or this, lambs are small, they're kind of cute, they're helpless. Is that, is that it? Is that what it means for Jesus to be the Lamb of God? See, to hear him called the Lamb of God, I'd say for people that don't know the Bible, it's confusing at best, or it's even negative at worst with our modern understanding of what sheep and lambs are. So what does someone need to understand this fuller context of John pointing at Jesus and saying, behold, the Lamb of God? I'm glad you asked. Let's jump back to the Old Testament to get it. If you read through Leviticus specifically chapter 16, after reading about all the sacrifices for Israel that have been laid out, you have this holy day in the middle of the book called the Day of Atonement, or in Hebrew, if you prefer, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That it's the day in which Israel's sin, collectively, as a whole group, as a whole nation, was ritually paid for through a substitutionary sacrifice and a scapegoating. The priest would kill a bull and a ram as a burnt and sin offering, and then also he would kill a goat. And these would all, of course, as we've spoken of before, and as you well know, these would be spotless, that is, without blemish. One of the good ones from the flock, not one of the throwaway ones. You're going to offer to God something as a gift, you want it to be good. Same with sacrifices. And these things would be the payment for Israel's sin, as it were, on that high and holy day. Sin is a debt that's owed to God, if you think of it in monetary terms. And when there's a sacrifice, a spotless sacrifice, that debt is paid. It's considered covered, like a payment being sent into the bank. But there's one more important aspect of that day, the Day of Atonement, that should not and cannot be overlooked, and especially not if we're going to have understanding of John's words from the gospel, behold the Lamb of God. After the sacrifices, or even in the midst of them, the priest would take another goat, a 
not the one that was killed, but another one, a second one. And taking that goat, he would speak the sins of Israel over the goat. Hold his hands out, speak the sins over it. And then the goat would be cast off out in the wilderness to wander around where there was no food, no drink. And so with the sins of Israel would go out and carry away the sins and die for Israel. That's, of course, where we get the term scapegoat from. And as much as goats and lambs were kind of interchangeable in the sense, we can now understand John's words about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, the fuller context for this comes a little earlier. So if you want to go home, read earlier on in the gospel, you see he says it the first time then, and he finishes the thought. Behold the Lamb of God, pointing to Jesus, who is carrying away the sins of the world. Now, when you understand Leviticus, the Day of Atonement, the sacrifices, and the scapegoat, that fills in. It makes it perfectly clear why John, the forerunner of the Messiah and the Christ, would point to that Christ and say, the Lamb of God who is carrying away the sins of the world. It's because Jesus himself was the actual Lamb of God, the scapegoat who was carrying away Israel's sins. Being without sin, he was spotless and without blemish, a perfect candidate for a substitutionary sacrifice, a perfect candidate for a scapegoat to bear a burden that was not his out into a wilderness to die. And taking the place of sinners and suffering for them, Jesus Christ did what the animals of the Day of Atonement did. But he would do it one time, not year after year, but once, fully and completely for all. No sin in this world left unpaid for, no guilt left uncovered. And so it is that we understand so clearly, and even I would say so beautifully, John's words. And I hope, as Christians, we take comfort in them. Comfort in that title for Jesus, along with the rest of his titles, of the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb, Jesus, slain before the foundation of the world. Baptized by John in the Jordan, identifying with sinners. Baptized into death on Calvary's cross, so that we would not die. As he carried away sins then, he is ever now the Lamb once slain, sitting on the throne in glory with the great white host of those who have gone before, spread before him in that heavenly joy and bliss. And as Andrew and Peter, James, John, and all the rest of the disciples saw fit to look at this lamb that John was pointing at and identifying as the lamb of God, as they saw fit to see him, leave all, and follow him, let us see that beautiful lamb too and give up all that we would have in this world to keep us here, but rather leave it behind and follow him to a heaven of glory forever. Amen.